Well, our reading this morning comes from Luke at chapter 19, uh, verses 1 to 10. And if you have a red uh, church Bible, uh, it's on page 1053, 1053. So it's Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. 19 verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let's pray before Phil comes and speaks. Our Father in heaven, we know the power of your word. And we pray as Phil comes to share that word with us, that you would speak into every one of our hearts this morning. Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? And would we leave here loving you so much more? We pray in your holy name. Amen. It's good to see so many new faces here. Uh, Just to give you a bit of context, um, as a church, we've been going through the book of Luke now for for a couple of terms since September. And we've come to this story. And what I'm going to do this morning is explain a little bit why we need to listen to this story, because it's a very familiar story. And because of its familiarity, sometimes we can lose what it teaches us today. You see, I remember my Sunday school teacher teaching this story of someone who met Jesus. So the story goes, Zacchaeus was a funny little man who struggled to see Jesus because he was short. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, who funnily also was quite a short little lady, um, making a huge fuss over describing how little Zacchaeus was. And how he struggled to see over the crowds in front of him. And she even had us jumping up and down trying to see over the imaginary crowds. And then we're told Zacchaeus, in order to see Jesus, climbed a big sycamore tree. And then as Jesus passed that way, the song goes, he looked into the tree and said, Now Zacchaeus, you, you can all sing it with me. Come down, for I'm coming to your house for tea. Have a banana. It's a story told countless of times, isn't it? We know what happens in the end. But if we're not careful, it becomes too familiar. 
It's familiar because it's a testimony of how someone met Jesus. And we forget that actually Luke is teaching us about a relationship with Christ in this passage. So we have to ask this question, what does this passage teach us? What is it a teaching point about? And and we have to ask the question, why do I need to read this and not just gloss over it as another familiar story about someone who met Jesus? Bottom line, fundamentally, the most basic, 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 basic level, and we have to go back to this level every time we open the Bible. The reason why I need to read this story, listen to this story, the reason why we need to read this story and listen to it is because we are sinners and we need Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible tells us that we're all born into this world wanting to be master of our own fate and captain of our own ship. That's the fundamental attitude that we all are born with. It's why our our parents never teach us how to lie about have we brushed our teeth or not. If you're anything like me, it's why you were never taught to go to the toothpaste tube, lick a bit off the end of the toothpaste tube, get your toothpaste, toothbrush, run it under the tap so it looks like you've brushed your teeth, and then lie, metaphorically speaking, through your teeth to your parents that you have actually brushed your teeth. The effort of lying was far more than the effort of brushing my teeth, and yet I still did that in order to be captain of my ship, master of my fate. I win, parents. I haven't brushed my teeth, and I've got the fillings to show it. It's why we don't have to teach our children to do the temper tantrum in the aisle at the supermarket till we cave and give them a sweet. Sin is wanting to be in charge of our lives, and it's fighting God for control. That's what sin is. As we saw earlier in Luke's Gospel, in the parable of the lost sons, some of us fight God by being very bad. So we make up the rules. We'll live our lives living by our rules and breaking God's rules willy-nilly. And we stuff the consequences. We'll live for the freedom to have control. So we're in charge and not God. We'll even make up what God is like. So we're in charge and not God. Others of us fight God by being very good. We try to control God by being good people, full of kindness and good-heartedness, and we end up being convinced that God will have no other choice but to let us into heaven because our terms have been so good. He's got nothing against us. We have a right to be with him in heaven. And you know, even as a Christian, as someone who knows God and loves God, although I have God the Holy Spirit living in me, I am still a sinner. That's the tension that I live. I know God and love God, yes, but I'm still Phil Velikot, the wretched sinner who wants to control God, who wants to do God on my own terms. And it means I fight God, and I still want to be captain of my ship and master of my fate. But at the same time, that now that I know Jesus, 
God the Holy Spirit is in me and he is helping me fight my sinful desires. That sinful person that wants to fight God. God the Holy Spirit is teaching me another way, but there's a tension. My sinful heart still wants control. And I realized as I started to look at this passage, the reason why I need need to hear this story again is because as a sinner with a heart that still wants to fight God deep down, I dislike what Jesus says in verse 10. Look at it with me. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's a sentence that challenges three assumptions that my sinful heart wants to believe about salvation. Because whereas I want to save myself under my terms, by my rules, in my way, I want to make myself right with God, it tells me that Jesus has come to save me on his terms and in his way. I don't like that. It tells me that Jesus has come to take control. I don't like that because fundamentally I believe that I choose God. And I'll grumble against him when things don't go my way. I'll be annoyed when things in his sovereignty, circumstances, people get really annoying. Because God should do better. That's what I believe fundamentally deep down. And it tells me that Jesus has come to share his riches Deep down, I do not and am not convinced that Jesus' riches are better than the riches that I experience in this world. And that's why I need to see this and read this story. Because it reminds me that I am a sinner and I need Jesus. So we're going to look at this passage under three headings. The first is this. It's wonderful. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. Look at verse 1 with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. We've seen over the last couple of weeks how Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he comes to this town called Jericho, and he's, he's on his way through this town to Jerusalem. And then we're introduced to this tax collector, He, like the blind man in the previous story, wanted to see Jesus. I love the way Luke kind of ties his his gospel narrative together. So this story is not independent of the blind man's story because he uses that word see a huge amount here as well. The thing about this man, though, is that he's properly evil. He's a tax man. He was rich from exploiting the people around him. And if we were in that crowd, we would have found it really, really satisfying that little Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. But then the scandalous happens. Zacchaeus runs on ahead, climbs a tree, so he can see Jesus. 
But then Jesus stops. And Jesus turns to him. And Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And it's an illustration, it's an outworking of what Jesus is saying in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a statement that tells us salvation is God's initiative and not ours. And we see it at work in this passage. You see, the Son of Man is a title for God. It's an Old Testament title that was used to describe the one who was God, who would come into this world from God with God's authority and bring people back to God. It's a God statement. And whereas Zacchaeus climbs a tree, wants to see Jesus on his terms, from a distance up a tree, without actually having to to talk to the man or be in contact with the man, Jesus picks him out of the crowd by name. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus takes the initiative and enters into Zacchaeus' life. Jesus came on his own terms to seek and to save Zacchaeus, and he does this because of his mercy and for no other reason. And the same is true for everyone who has met Jesus. There is no other reason other than the glory of God and the mercy of Christ as the reason for us to meet with God. And that is so humbling. It's humbling to understand that everyone who knows Jesus knows him because he has taken the initiative. And he has invited himself to be the king of our lives. We have not and we cannot choose God. And it's easy to forget though, isn't it? For those of us who are Christians, it's easy to live as though we choose God and follow him when it's convenient. It happens when we become a little bit comfortable in life when things are going well in the job or at school or in the family or in the small group, and we begin to forget what it took for God to come and to save. The cost to God was enormous. But we start to live as though God is our choice, a kind of off-the-shelf pick-and-mix God. And our praying reflects that. How often do our prayers reflect on our comfort or advancement at work or our circumstances to make them nicer and better rather than to change our hearts and to to work through the consequences, uh, through through our circumstances holding God's hands? We give God the end of our time, what leftover money we have. What effort remains after we put the children to bed and listen to our spouse's problems and we forget the miracle that Jesus loves us and chose us and to know him is amazing in spite of our sinful hearts. And if you're a Christian this morning, the challenge is to put yourself in that tree with Zacchaeus. And recognize the shock That he has come. He has deliberately walked into our lives and demanded his lordship. That is who Jesus is. We have been chosen. Even with the sins that only we know about it, we have been chosen. 
And so the right response to that is daily gratitude, isn't it? A right response is to live like we've been given eternal life by God's initiative and grace. Because we have. To recognize that prayer is not just some statement addressed to the ceiling. Prayer is entering into the very throne room of God and speaking to God the creator who holds our beating hearts and keeps them beating and talking to him face to face as a man who is forgiven and loved and blessed by God. That is prayer. And to hear his word and to read it and say, oh, this is the word of God. This is the way that God is working in my heart to change me and make me more like Jesus. These are the privileges that we have because Jesus has come and has picked us out of the crowd, metaphorically out of the tree and invited himself to our house. That is the miracle of God's initiative. And it's a privilege And a pleasure to know. And if we've stopped praying, then start praying. If we've stopped seeing church, this gathering, as God's people gathered together as his saved loved ones, then start seeing that. See God's initiative everywhere around you. And rejoice. If we're struggling to get to a small group, then make it a priority. To encourage your brothers and sisters in faith. Because this salvation is God's initiative. He has come and he has saved us. And our response must be grateful joy. So let's not belittle it. By living as if it's something we deserved or earned. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope you begin to see that this service is not a random chance occurrence. You didn't wake up this morning going, I think I'll just wander around to church today. Because Jesus deliberately picked out Zacchaeus. God has invited you here today to hear this story. This is God's word, his voice, and he invites you to respond. So respond like royalty has invited themselves into your house. Respond as though God himself has picked you out the crowd, spoken to you audibly, and respond like you're told he's coming to you. And remember, just like Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't care about the state of your house. He knows what your life is like. What he cares about is meeting you. And he wants you to know him and love him and care about him more than anyone in the universe. Will you meet him today? Will you accept his invitation? How do you do that? Well, you talk to him. That's the joy. Because Jesus has risen from the dead 2,000 years ago. He is now in heaven and he rules as, as God in heaven. And therefore, to talk to him is a plausible thing. Tell him you've wanted to be captain of your ship. You've wanted to be master of your fate. And tell him you've not wanted him in your life and you've wanted control for yourself. And simply ask him to forgive you for that. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Ask him to forgive you your sinful heart. That's wanted to keep God away. Ask him to be your Lord, just like Zacchaeus calls him Lord. 
And listen, if you don't know what to say, if you don't know how to form that prayer, please just ask, ask the person you've come with. Talk to me, talk to Dan, talk to, to anyone who's got a, a lanyard on. We'd be happy to pray with you and help you speak personally to Jesus. But let me move on because Luke tells us what happens next. He says in verse 7, all the people saw this and begun to mutter or grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That brings us to our second point this morning. Jesus came to be in control. The story starts with Zacchaeus on the outside, as the outsider, looking in at the people on the inside, crowding around Jesus. Did you spot that? But the surprise of the story is that the, the, it finishes with a reversal. Zacchaeus finds himself as the insider with all the people physically and metaphorically on the outside. And they're on the outside because they're grumbling at Jesus for choosing Zacchaeus and not them. And this inside-outside theme has been running through the last couple of chapters. Luke's very cleverly woven it together so it's, it, it makes that big point. For example, the eldest son of the parable of the lost sons seems to be on the inside, doing all the right things, working um, on his dad's estate, um, saying the right things. But when it comes to celebrating with the father over the lost son, well, we find him on the outside of the feast, grumbling about the way the father treats the son who was lost. We see it with the rich, young, religious ruler coming to Jesus with a question that seemingly was an insider's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But after a personal encounter with Jesus, he goes away sad because the cost of following Jesus is too much. The man who looked like he was on the inside with privilege and status and religiosity actually turned out to be on the outside of Jesus' kingdom. Again, when Jesus heals a blind man, the irony of the story is that the outsider who can't physically see Jesus is actually welcomed into Jesus' kingdom because he's the only person who can recognize the Messiah. And Jesus confirms his insider knowledge with a miracle. What's Luke's point? I think Luke is challenging us to recognize the tricks that our sinful hearts can play on us. He's challenging us to be humble and not assume for a second that we're an insider. Just because we're generous and gives, uh, and just because we're generous and give to, to, to the church, it doesn't make us an insider. Just because we're poor, it doesn't make us an insider either. You see, the warning is this. If we find ourselves grumbling at God, just like this crowd grumbled at Jesus, then effectively we're saying, I don't want God on his terms. I don't want God coming into my life and telling me who's right with him and who's wrong with him. Because I think my opinion of who is right and who is wrong is better than God's. That's what the grumbling is all about. Grumbling is directed at God's lordship. His right to be God, his way. And the irony of this story is that the crowd still think they are insiders. But really, they're on the outside grumbling at the miracle of Zacchaeus. It's challenging, isn't it? 
Jesus has come to be Lord. Will you accept lordship on his terms? We cannot earn his favor. There's no sense in which, and I've I've come across people who genuinely believe this, there's no sense in which being British automatically grants us a passport into heaven. It might not allow us a passport into Europe anymore, but we have this, sometimes British people have this almost superior superior belief that because we're British, we're, we're good. And because we're good, we're right with God. Jesus has come to be Lord and only he can be Lord. But what's lovely is that in this passage there is an antidote to that grumbling spirit. And it brings us to the third point of this passage. And it's simply this, Jesus has come to share his riches. Jesus has come to share his riches. You see, the first antidote to grumbling spirit is to learn to rejoice in the riches of salvation. So look at verse 8 with me. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, one of the biggest things that robs us of the joy of salvation is clinging to what we thought was important before we met Jesus. You see, many people think that becoming a Christian makes us poorer. As I said at the beginning, that's what my impression was. Either financially poorer or time poorer or energy poorer. People see the cost of following Jesus and fear it. And from the outside, the cost of following Jesus can seem massive because of our already poor lives. So that becoming a Christian means giving back to God some of what he's given to us. We don't like that. It means making sacrifices, giving up our pet hobbies and interests, giving time and energy to yet another thing. But do you know, Zacchaeus' generosity here shows us that this kind of fear is unfounded. You see, he commits himself to imitate Jesus. He gives half his possessions to the poor and pays back four times what he has stolen because Jesus has given him riches beyond comprehension. Because Jesus' riches are his now. What has Jesus given him? Forgiveness. That sinful heart that stood against God, Jesus has forgiven it. Jesus has given him peace with God, so God's anger no longer is directed against him. And Jesus has given him the Holy Spirit, which means he is able to see God and know God and grow more like Jesus every day. Those are the riches of Christ Jesus. And if we trust in Jesus like Zacchaeus trusted Jesus and see his riches as Zacchaeus saw Jesus' riches, then we can give a tenth of our salary, of our time, of our energy first to God. And we will be surprised at how God changes us and fills us with the joy of giving. That's, that's, what this, that's what this passage teaches us. And that joy will be the joy that destroys our grumbles. It's the joy that will destroy our lack of trust in Jesus. Martin Luther, the reformer, used to say, there are three works of salvation in a Christian's heart. The work on his mind, the work on his heart, and the work on his wallet. 
And it's so true, isn't it? Why is that last one so difficult? Because as we come to trust in Christ, we struggle to trust him fully with our circumstances. And whereas our culture says grumbling is good, if you write the grumble letter to uh, the Pringles factory because the Pringles you ate last night were too salty, they'll send you a little £20 gift voucher to to shut you up. If you grumble about not having enough money around the photocopier, somewhere someone will listen in and HR will find out and, 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 and give you a raise. If you grumble at the trains often enough, it'll hit the news. If you grumble about lack of time and energy and you want more and more and more and more, then you'll get your way. But this is the countercultural nature of Christian giving. Christian joy is found in echoing the generosity of God that God has directed towards us. So we need not fear giving to God because of the riches of what he has given to us. Brothers and sisters in this church, if you call yourself a church partner, do you believe that? We'll look at the practical implications for us as a church partnership. We've said it before, we say it as often as we can, our church vision is to grow, to grow and double our numbers every 10 years. Why? Why that specific? Because we have faith that as we tell people about Jesus, the good news of his kingdom will grow. And as the gospel grows, then also must our faith and our giving. And in giving, we can join in that joy that Zacchaeus expresses here. That joy as he wants to share the kingdom of God through his giving. And pragmatically, if we want to see that growth, the money is in our pockets, let's give. The time is in our diaries, let's give. The energy is in our hearts. Let's give. Let's give to growing this great good news of Jesus because God calls us to join in that work. Zacchaeus is not saved and then sidelined. Zacchaeus is saved and he is used. All of what he once saw as riches were now poverty and his riches he now used to serve the kingdom of God. That's what God invites each and every one of us to do and join in, however rich we are. Whether that's rich in gifts and talents, whether that's rich in time, rich in money, God invites us to join in that great work of the kingdom of God growing. Will you do that this morning? And as well as learning to rejoice in the riches of salvation, I love this passage because it it ends on the greatest joy of all. It ends on the greatest joy of all, which is Jesus' joy at seeing the lost saved. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It ends on a great, great, great declaration, doesn't it? Jesus calls uh, Zacchaeus a a child of Abraham, which is a nickname for someone who belongs to his kingdom. 
And it's clear that he's delighted when sinners repent and joyfully love him. He looks at the the way that his kingdom and his encounter with Zacchaeus has changed Zacchaeus' heart and it thrills him. And the same has happened with us as we, if you're a Christian here this morning, as you entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ's forgiveness, our Saviour was, is thrilled. Utterly, abundantly thrilled because he calls us children of Abraham, people who belong to his kingdom. His heart rejoices at you and I. I hope, I hope this morning we've seen this this amazing passage. Yes, it is a story about someone, someone who has met Jesus. But it teaches us, doesn't it, that we are sinners and we need Jesus. Doesn't it expose the sin of our hearts? <laughs> that, that, that sinful you and me how we just don't want Jesus to come and seek and save us on his terms, but how much we need him to come and to seek and to save us on his terms because we're sinners. We don't like to call ourselves lost, but we are. We need a saviour. We don't like to think that God has control, but he does. We need to submit to his lordship and stop grumbling. Deep down inside, we prefer the earthly riches that we own. But Jesus wants us to echo his joy in our salvation by giving like he has given to us. And what I love about Jesus is that he loves us. Sinners though we are. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has come to seek and to save you and I. A a rightful response is to respond with gratitude. A a rightful response is to respond with joy and to echo our Saviour's generosity. Do you know, a rightful response is to daily get on our knees and ask him to seek and to save the lost that we are in daily contact with. Not because we're the crowds and considerably better than them, but because we are the lost and we are simply one beggar, one little tree climber telling another little tree climber where to find Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on us, sinners.
Oh Lord Jesus, like Zacchaeus, we are so sinful. And we so need you. We need you because we cling on to control. We need you because we cling on to salvation. We need you because we cling on to earthly riches that are worthless. We, we need you, Lord Jesus, because our lives are joyless without you. Oh, this morning we submit to your lordship. This morning we accept your invitation for salvation and we ask that you would forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might live lives renewed by God the Holy Spirit and walk in your ways, walking generously with you, rejoicing in your salvation, rejoicing in the Saviour's joy at us. Oh Lord God, Zacchaeus shows us such a better way. May we echo his heart. May we follow him, that little man who climbed a tree. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.